Hello and welcome once again to episode 38 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Fernando. Hello, hello. And Spencer. Hey there. So before we get into our main topic, it's time for our indie app spotlight. So first up is Active Doc by Jerison Sergi, a Mac app that completely replaces your system dock and launchpad. Active Dock starts off just looking like a regular old dock, but offers many more customization options like different visual themes, quick access to window previews, a customizable start menu, and more. You can even hide certain apps from ever appearing, keeping your dock nice and tidy. Active Dock costs $24.99 for a standard license or $59.99 for a lifetime license, so please support Jerison by trying it out. Finally, we have Timing by Daniel Alm a Mac app that can help you track your time easily. Timing shows you your entire day at a glance, highlighting which apps were active and what events you went to, making it easy to go back and allocate a block of time to a given project. Afterwards, you can go back and analyze the amount of time you spent on any given project, making it the perfect app to use for client work or just keeping track of where your time went. Timing has a free trial and starts at $8.40 per user per month, so please support Daniel by giving it a go. And if you are an indie app developer, we want to hear from you. Please reach out to us on Twitter at uh, CodeCompletion via DM so we can spotlight your app in the future as well. So for months, Fernando has been insistent on questioning us about the viability of server-configured UI. And as it turns out, it's quite widespread already in various apps that you probably use. Uh, so we figured it's a good topic to discuss. So Fernando, could you give us a rough overview on why this matters so much to you? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dimitri. And yes, I actually have a manifest that I will submit to you guys later. But no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's I've been uh, not I haven't been as long uh, in the Mac environment as you have, Dimitri. Uh, but it's been like a, a long ten years, and during the past, I would say maybe. It was actually quite early in my career, probably around four years in, four, four years in, um, that I kind of realized that, like, we are just, the grand majority of apps are just thinly disguised websites. Well, not thinly, thinly veiled. I don't know, English is hard, but you get the idea, right? Mm -hmm. We're like, the grand majority of apps are just basically a rework of a website. And... I think Apple kind of kind of realizes this. And I think that's why I have such an internalized hatred for Swift UI. I've come to accept that I dislike it with a passion. And I was like, in the beginning, I was like, oh, my God, I'm getting old. I'm that uh, senior developer who's like, oh, get off my lawn. In Objective-C, we used to like <laughs> use semicolons, and we liked it. Um, and chiseled our corners. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no. But but after some uh introspection I realized that um the reason I dislike Swift UI is that it feels like Apple um painted itself in a corner because the constant need for control prevents Apple from um, from building something that you, that, that, that would be super useful for developers. Um, 
in this case, uh, something like server configured UI. Uh, for example, um, I haven't made this like public public, but I'm also not hiding it that I've uh, started working at Basecamp. And Basecamp has made public um, the way they build um, iOS and Android apps, which is using a library called uh, Turbo. Um, Turbo is basically a magic Ruby thing, like all things in the web are. They're basically magic. Uh, but what it does is it, it, blends, um, it blends the web with native controls. Like, for example, if, if, uh, if any, any of you are hey users, if you're listening and you're a hey user, you have probably used the iOS app, and it doesn't feel a hybrid. Like, it doesn't feel like it's a hybrid app. If you swipe the rows, uh, the animation are uh, incredibly snappy because the, the animations are native. If you tap on an email, the navigation controller pushes a brand new view controller into the stack. Like, the really important notes are hit on the native side. And the content is actually a web view. Um, and since Apple has made such an amazing work out of uh, WebKit, it feels very snappy. It feels very... Uh, it feels okay. Like, it's not a Flutter app. It's not a Xamarin app where the moment you open it up, you know that it's not native controls. And it took me a while to understand this. And in, uh, I'm kind of ranting, obviously. Uh, but the point of it is that I wanted to hear your opinions because you know this to be true, right? Look inside yourself. Mm. Look deep, Spencer. What do you mm. see? That was a that was know. a butchered Star Wars quote, but okay. So let me let me. I just I want to understand this a little bit more because I uh, looked through the repo you sent me, and then I went on YouTube and I tried to find uh, just like a tutorial on Turbo, right? So I could kind of see how it works. Um, there weren't any screenshots and I didn't, I didn't, you know, try to build anything myself. There weren't any screenshots and the, there was like one tutorial video that I could find and yep. it was super basic. It was like yep. a WebKit view with a tab bar controller and that's it. So I, I get what you mean about blending the, the UI, but, uh, and I haven't used, Hey, and that's, I guess why I'm really asking this is you you get like cell uh, deletion animation so are you putting a webkit view on the cell like is each cell a webkit view how are you there's so i think i think that's why um i don't think hybrid i think hybrid the word has been hijacked by flutter and xamarin and, and other libraries when they're not hybrid they're um can I say this? They're changing the engine of the car, right? They're taking the engine out and putting their own engine in. So right. the outside kind of seems like the same car, but you immediately, the moment you turn it on, you realize they changed the engine. And the way like, uh, like uh, Basecamp does it, which is really interesting, is they don't change the engine. They change tiny things that... Unless you're really looking for, uh, you won't realize. So, for example, they change the tires, if I want to stretch this analogy, right? Um, it's likely that if you were a pro uh, uh, driver, you'd realize that, hey, maybe these tires are a little bit different than what I'm used to. Uh, but the engine is the same. 
What I'm getting at is that if, uh, in the case of the cells, you would build the UI for the cells natively. Oh, like okay. you build that natively. So that is 100% native. You get everything, the animations, the UI. You build it with Swift UI, Objective-C, UIKit, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but most of the content then is on the web. So the, uh, the email view, the threading, um, that is on the web. If you go to the reply, uh, to the reply fields, um, sorry, the, rep the reply view controller, um, part of it is web view, part of it is not web view. And I, if you download the app, you'd be hard pressed to note which part of it is a web view and which isn't, yeah, the, unless you were to, looking for it, right? I need to play with it, I guess, to see it in like a real production app because, I, I like, I get what you mean, but yeah, I, I just need to play with it. I think. So I don't think that like Xamarin and Flutter and all that they hijack the word uh, hybrid. Because I don't think what you're describing has ever really been considered hybrid. So this is a practice that's long been used on macOS apps, for instance, like iChat was a very good example mm -hmm. of this. Uh, the whole message um, history view that you would look at when you like chat back and forth, that was all built in WebKit. Um, and it's mostly built in WebKit because it makes rendering text like super straightforward because... A web view is essentially a, a very advanced text rendering engine. Um, so anytime yep. you have to lay out text with other things, you can choose to do that programmatically with like the the fundamental building blocks, or you can choose to use web technologies to kind of build that out. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily consider that hybrid per se. Like there's other examples of this. Um, the help viewer uh, in all macOS apps that's like a web view. Obviously, the mail app, like the the content that you're looking at for each mail message, is a web view. Uh, the iTunes Store has traditionally been uh, a web view, and so has the App Store, uh, actually as well. Yuck. So uh, there's there's lots of uh, precedent to have web views kind of all over the place. Um, and like you said, as long as you disguise them well, or you turn mm -hmm. off the pieces that make them. Yep look like web views and the one i remember is if you double tap with your mouse on slack slack's window would zoom as if you just like <laughs> like uh zoomed in on that portion and you'd get the the stoplights as dynamic gigantic stoplights because it, those are just completely built uh in in a web view and i just kind of zoomed in uh and they never really accounted for that so the difficulty with doing this is you really need to know your stuff and yep. know what to disable uh, so that way you can make it feel as native as possible. Um, but usually uh, you can you can snuff it out pretty easily by things being selectable when you weren't necessarily ex expecting them to be selectable. Agreed. And I think you brought a great point. Uh, this is a, a, another butchering me, me butchering another quote, this time from the CEO of Palm. But the web guys aren't just going to come into native and figure it out, right? When you go into Xamarin and use of like Flutter and other types of frameworks, these are frameworks that I feel personally, and I may be completely wrong, but I feel that they were invented because, hey, we have a ton of people that know things from the web. What if we just do the Java thing and put their skills here? And that is bound to be a disaster in in 
UI UX terms because it's not native. Like it loses all of the research and care that Apple puts into the frameworks. Um, and the way that you were mentioning, I remember you mentioning that the Xcode documentation was also a web view. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, think that's, uh, I think that's brilliant because as long as you have one or two uh, mobile engineers that are taking care of the details, I think just like you said, you can hide it very well. Uh, mm-hmm. So well that, that it becomes like uh, extremely hard to notice. Yeah, don't make it possible to drag and drop an HTML file on top of your web view and then it <laughs> suddenly swaps out and loads that HTML file, which is always a funny uh, bug to try out with apps that don't necessarily take the extra care to implement every delegate method to prevent this sort of thing. But uh, it certainly does become possible um, with a lot of uh, these situations. Um, another one is right-clicking and being able to inspect element. Uh, or to right. go to Safari and go to the debug menu, and all of a sudden another app is listed there, uh, just inconspicuously, and then you can go ahead and change everything that you want there. Um, so it it definitely takes a lot of care. Uh, at the same time, I think you mentioned Xamarin. I think Xamarin is not necessarily a web technology, but it was so that way people who know C sharp uh, can go ahead and use the iOS technologies. <laughs> Uh, but yep. that it does fall under the hybrid model where hybrid more means uh, being able to write once and run everywhere mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like where where the code ends up. Uh, but it does get translated to UIKit uh, and stuff under the hood, just like uh, Java for all its uh, strengths and weaknesses did get translated to uh, the native uh, UIs on various platforms. It's just they decided to stick with um, like a human interface toolbox, uh, which was built 20 years ago, and they never <laughs> updated it. Yeah. And that's that's why it started to show its age. Um, but that's not saying that uh, that's that's wrong. But I think it does it does digress quite a bit from uh, where we started, and that is to have content that we are putting on the server and that's kind of dictating what the app is going to show uh, and that does not necessarily need to be built with web technologies either what do you mean so for instance uh on an app that i worked on uh which you're never going to find anywhere because it's very specific to the film industry uh we had a section of the app where we wanted to configure on a per user basis how they would see content be organized Um, And the way I built this out was uh, that the server would basically vend a JSON that had a ton of configuration options. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. And it would dynamically build out all sorts of different views uh, that can be uh, not directly accessed within the app, but the app was coded to support all the different configuration options. Mm -hmm. Um, So therefore, on a very user-by-user basis, we can either make uh, accessing their content really easy and straightforward, like just what we shot today, uh, versus uh, more expanded and more open towards seeing the entire library at once or seeing it in a different view for different uh, roles that we're working in the production. Uh, so that sort of thing can also be considered like building out a UI on the server and then having it manifest within the app. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it requires a lot more work on the developer to kind of build out everything from the beginning. I think I, I agree 100% with that. It, it, is, it is a lot of work. Um, part of the reason why I mentioned um, that, that I thought this would be a good topic to explore is that 
I have constantly seen it happen that uh, you either need a really big team of uh, specialists. Like I used to work at a company called Golden Frog and we did VPNs and we did iOS, Android, macOS, Windows, uh, basically covered all, all four of the great like big operating systems. And we had specialists for each one. Uh, if you were like, that's an insane amount of siloed knowledge, right? Because if the iOS developer leaves, sure, they can try and pick up the Mac side. There's a certain overlap there. But if the Android developer leaves, like you're basically out of luck, right? So you either need to get another specialist or the app begins to suffer. Um, and so with this, I think, I think I found it really interesting because you can leverage uh, your knowledge of the web, uh, while at the same time preserving a little bit of that specialist, uh, uh, need for developers. Does that kind of make sense? Or am I just rambling again? Yeah. So it's, it's like uh -huh. a, a middle ground in between those yep. two extremes. Yep. You, you also have to be careful with that though, because although, it might be difficult to find another specialist in this case the very ubiquitous like iOS developer or Windows developer like there are tons of those specialists out in the world um, if you if you make your app to have such a uh, focused and uh, uh, highly specialized like pseudo language that every oh, platform yep. on your in your company then uses right. uh, then, you you kind of limited your specialists to people who have worked for you in the past uh, and no one else. Like this becomes a problem where no one else would could possibly uh, be a specialist in that because you guys invented it, right? Um, yep. Yep. So that that is something that uh, is also like a problem on the other side of the coin where you're trying to strike that balance of do we either have code that um, will... Anyone on the, in the company can go ahead and start making modifications to the iOS app without necessarily being an iOS engineer, or do we end up having the opposite situation where we can bring on any iOS, gener iOS engineer to kind of continue working on the app, but they will be useless when it comes to updating the Windows side? It's it's hard for sure. Uh, you said you said that there were many iOS developers, uh, and I'm I I've been having again. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you guys feel my rants and my existential crises. <laughs> uh, but I've been feeling it's an interesting feeling to know that mobile is not, especially iOS. It's not. We're not the main characters, uh, in general. I think I've always known this, but the web is the main character, uh, at least in my circles. Like no, I, I definitely agree. Right? Yeah. And that feels kind of strange. Uh, I don't know. So uh, th it's interesting you bring that up because there are a ton more web developers than there are iOS yep. developers. Um, and when someone says they're getting into software development, they do not mean that they're getting into iOS development. They mean <laughs> they, they likely will have never played or touched a compiler before. Uh, and I don't mean a JavaScript oh, compiler. Oh, that's fair. I mean, I mean compiled code that gets turned into assembly that runs natively. Uh, most software developers don't 
interact with that side of software at all. Um, and they are writing websites and things like that. Um, that said, since we are an iOS uh, based uh, podcast, I'm allowed to uh, I'm allowed to uh, mention this. Web developers aren't necessarily paid super well either. Like you are going to find well-paid web developers just as much as you're going to find well-paid anything. Uh, but on the vast majority of the time, a web developer is going to be severely underpaid compared to an iOS developer that has a similar amount of experience. Um, and of course, this is always difficult at the beginning of the spectrum. There's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to get a starting job as a web developer than an iOS developer. But once you yep. do get that certain amount of experience, you can make a lot more money either in contract work or in salary uh, than you can as a yep. web developer for a similar amount of uh, of experience doing something. So uh, although the world around us is web developers, if you do have a specialized ability like making iOS apps, designing apps, uh, working on nitty gritty uh, like graphics apps things like that the more specialized you are uh the more valuable you are especially when you do have experience um again starting off we realize it's super hard to get your foot in the door but once you have at least five years of experience or more it's really (laughs) easy to find a replacement for a super specialized role um when when you're looking for the job when you're trying to fill a spot for a super specialized role it's near impossible because there's only a few out there, and they're happy at their jobs. So yep. uh, you need to really search for uh, a suitable replacement, and you might not find one on any like timely basis. It might be months or years before a candidate shows up, and you can finally add them to your team. Um, so that is is definitely worth mentioning, since you brought that up, Fernando. That the world around seems like it's all web. Uh, it's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of demand for the diamonds uh, out there. I'm Agreed. not saying we're diamonds or anything, but <laughs> but I think I think you're totally right. Um, it just sometimes feels like, and this is what got me excited in the first place about this topic. It just feels like for a long part of my career, all I've been doing is websites in app form. Oh, just hit this API, consume it, display it on the screen do some fancy things, open up the camera, blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's of course, part, partly my fault because I have not been looking for demanding like core ML jobs or like things that really push the, the boundaries of the phone. But at the same time, it's like, uh, I wish Apple would do something to make this easier on me instead of like building another Swift UI, like another framework that's basically the same thing. It's just a little bit better than a table view. Yeah, I, I, I definitely get this sentiment. Um, at the same time, I feel like for a lot of people, uh, including myself, I would much rather uh, use my banking app as an app, right? Or whatever it is, even if it is just basically a native I front agree. end, right? I think there's definitely value for that. And not everyone is working on, you know, some crazy app that is leveraging hardware per se, but having like even, you know, what you guys have as opposed to, like you were saying, the the very non-native looking apps. Mm-hmm. It looks like an Android app like Gmail or something. 
Um, <laughs> there's definitely something to that. And I think there's value there uh, just because it's not complex or using core ML or whatever. Um, I, I value those, those apps much more than having to go to Safari bookmark it or type in the URL every time. Oh, so, great. you know what I mean? It's, I, I get your sentiment, but also there's, I think like any app is be- going to be better than going on a website for me on a phone, right? That's, that's just how I feel. I would much rather take the couple seconds to download the app once and then use Spotlight and search for it and use it in a more native, natural feeling way that I know how to use the app because it uses a standard uh, navigation yep. flow and all of those sorts of things. I, I agree 100% with you. Um, it's not that I, I think if, if I could rephrase, it would be I am not in the web apps should be the only apps camp, which would be crazy. I don't know why, why Jobs said that when he did. Uh, thank God they turned, turned it around. <laughs> uh, it's more like... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think I need to, to do a little bit more introspection. I just wish... I, yeah, let, let me phrase it like this. The web is so innovative and so open that everyone is doing their own thing. Python, Ruby... Uh, there's a ton of languages, ton of different things happening. There's a JavaScript framework every week, and that sucks. Okay, right? exactly. That's my point. It, it sucks. It's changing all the time, and that's what sucks about it. Whereas here, it's it's consistent, and I like but, consistency. But whereas on this side, nothing ever changes. Like I, as much as I understand that Swift UI is a move forward because it is much more functional, more reactive. It's still the same deal. I still need to write my code in such a way uh, that I need to take care of every single screen, like almost by hand, right? You need to you need to take care of those details. Whereas on the web, it's like you can build it, build it a responsive layout, and that's it. I mean, maybe that's me, my ignorance speaking. I'll re- I, I will retract that. I, I get what you mean. <laughs> I get what you're going for. But right, yeah. Do you mean- so I, I think there's there's a lot to unpack there. Um, Thank you. Yes. On the web, <laughs> it might be it might seem like oh you wrote your website therefore you're done like everyone can now access it. But if you consider on a small screen device, is it easier to use the frameworks that Apple provides to build out a UI that does what you need it to do? Uh, and does it well, or is it easier to, from scratch, rebuild that with web technologies and get at the same point? And which ultimately is cheaper, paying an iOS engineer to do the iOS route natively um, and use basically all of Apple's stock uh, f- like framework views and things like that to quickly build out an app? Or is it easier to pay someone who specializes in web technologies to make something that looks like it belongs on iOS um, and do that only in web technologies, like which is easier in the end? I don't think it's necessarily easier to build an iOS app, even if it's a f- like a web app uh, or a website Agreed. and an app kind of thing. I think it's easier to do that using Apple's frameworks for the most part. 
than it is to kind of do that with native HTML and JavaScript and end up with a less a subpar experience because of that. Like it's never going to match up. Um, and as you as you said, Fernando, like the the web apps that Steve Jobs tried to push for, Apple came out with a framework to make it possible to make something that looked like an iOS app. Um, yep. And even with that, performance was not that great. The interactions were uh, subpar. There were all sorts of problems. And I think the real value for us as iOS developers is Apple does make a ton of technologies ready for us to just go ahead and use. And that has always been the pull of Coco. Like back in the 80s and 90s, Apple had uh, videos that they would show where they put one Cocoa engineer in front of a computer and on the other side of the desk, they put an IBM engineer uh, there. The IBM engineer needed to build something from scratch using C++ uh, and the Cocoa engineer within the same amount of time had a fully functional app um, just because all the tools were there uh, to go ahead and do that. It was an app toolbox uh, in a way. Uh, So I think... That is the core appeal to doing something as on a native platform. That said, it is possible on the web. Like every week there's a new framework of someone doing something interesting. It is possible to do that natively as well. It's just way harder. Like that's the reason why we don't see it. Agreed. But, I agree. Uh, for example, Letterpress, um, which was an app that you can go ahead and play with words. I remember um, it. was completely built with OpenGL instead of using UIKit you cannot tell the difference. Like, it was done well. It was rebuilt from scratch to do it that way. Uh, And as a result of that, there were many very fluid animations that were impossible to do in UIKit that were just available for free uh, with the engine that the developer built for themselves. Um, And that takes skill to be able to do, just like building out a new JavaScript library takes skill. Uh, It doesn't. (laughs) And I would go ahead and say that uh, because of that, on native platforms, people are a lot less ready to just share that out in the open. They want to keep that proprietary because they put a ton of work into it. So yep. they want to they want to keep those jewels close because it allows them to build something similar in the future. Um, whereas the web is like very much an, an environment of sharing. Like, oh look, I made a half half put together thing. And version one will have so many features. Uh, and they put it out there, and it never never gets to that point. Um, and that's why and there are so many different frameworks. Agreed. And even if you don't want to share in the web, sometimes you have to. Like, a yeah, lot it's of, all open anyways. Right. Like, people yeah. will figure it out. But right-click, inspect element. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> One and step away. They've tried to, like, minify the code and do a bunch of things with JavaScript and things like that. But in the end, like, you, like the web is meant to be open, so you can inspect, whereas... On, on iOS, it's really, really complicated. Even if I go and uh, start reverse engineering um, somebody else's code, it's really complex. You don't get it like like you would with the HTML. So I agree with that. I agree. All I'm saying is that it kind of feels to me uh, with everything that, that's been happening with Apple, all of the negativ- negativity that's been associated with it for the past, like, 10 years. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> six months, I would say. Maybe since the Epic thing probably a little bit earlier. Um, I wish they would cede a little bit of control. It, it Maybe it's just me, again, with my like just my wild imagination, but it's it's been feeling like Apple 
used to want to have control because they understood that it was a an advantage and they were running away from what happened during the uh, clone wars they wanted to own everything whereas nowadays it just feels like they're just petrified of losing control losing a tiny bit of control in exchange for like innovation on the developer end uh, again maybe it's just me but it feels like no these are our frameworks you don't get to do anything outside of those frameworks where i i yeah i don't know i don't think it's on the framework side i think it's on the business side like there's okay. very little control that apple willingly like turns the vice on when it comes to what technologies you are using to build the app if the end product is something that works well Whereas there's a ton of problems when it comes to how you choose to run a business um, and what ideas are allowed versus what ideas are not um, that really manifest themselves. But within that same sandbox, I think if you use UIKit or you implement everything from scratch, Apple will not have anything meaningful to say in that regard. As long as you choose to do something that is considered uh okay from their business point of view like if you don't try to make a certain kind of app they're never gonna care how you built it as long as it ends up as machine instructions that that's that's what they care about um it doesn't matter if it started off as ui kit swift ui something custom or something that's out there already well is that true i would say so because I guess I think you're right. But uh, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, could you like, would it be beneficial for the uh, ecosystem if you could build apps using Ruby? You can. Like, There's nothing preventing you from doing that. Assuming someone made something in Ruby that allows you to write in Ruby. But if it gets compiled, then that's, it doesn't matter what language you're starting with. That's right. Yeah. And that's what gives me pause. I like... Like, if you're including Does, Ruby files in your app and then they get interpreted, that's a different problem. But if you are compiling your Ruby code via transcriber of sorts, then, like, there's no there's no checks that Apple is doing to make sure that agreed. that is allowed mm-hmm. versus that is not allowed. I agree with that. Interesting. Interesting conversation. This is a good podcast. <laughs> I think... Kind of shifting gears a little bit, but going back to native versus, you know, non-native, something like Flutter or whatever, there have been, and it's been a while since I looked at this, um, and it's been a while since it happened, but there have been a couple of companies that have uh, been doing cross-platform development, namely uh, the two I can think of are like Dropbox and Airbnb, mm-hmm. where their apps were non-native or, you know, using something like, I, I don't know if they were using xamarin or something um but they both have uh, or at least dropbox has a blog post basically explaining why uh, they chose to uh you know scrap their non-native app and instead split it out into an actual native ios and android app respectively so I think we're we're kind of in this situation. We as in kind of the developer community in general, um, where we have all these choices, and 
some people are, are you know, I, I, I get why people want to do the cross-platform thing and potentially save money, but I think ultimately Dropbox's whole thing was it actually cost them more money in the yep. long run, right? As yep. opposed to just building out a team of, of native iOS and Android developers. Um, but maybe, you know, in the start, they didn't have enough money to hire two teams or whatever it was, whatever the reasons are. Um, I think this turbo is kind of this interesting middle ground where, you know, I'm not a yep. web developer, so I'm not really sure how much I could play <laughs> with it. Uh, but I will look at Hay and everything and kind of check that out. But figuring out that, it, you know, I think it all comes down to money uh, for most people. I I don't know what the answer is. But it's it's <laughs> interesting that there's now this kind of third uh proposal of how do we develop our apps and also there is a uh a framework that apple ships that does exactly this and it's tvml for tvos so if you use tvml you describe what your app has in terms of content and then it will build out a like very very native feeling in fact more native than every native apple tv app that you probably use on a daily basis uh environment so that way you can go ahead and show your content so it was made so tv provider or a content provider can go ahead and very quickly build out something using web technologies for instance and end up with a very native ui because ultimately it's building out ui kit uh views under the hood and just translating this over um but it's javascript it is javascript and it's not html it's tvml um and you're just describing you're you're describing what your UI should look like, um, and it's getting translated on the fly into native UI views. Like I remember a very very long time ago when I was a when I was a kid, basically, um, I I started off learning web technologies, and I wanted to make a native looking app. So I was futzing around with tons of CSS that was not at all ready for this sort of thing. But to <laughs> to re-implement the pin strips that were in macOS, mm-hmm. for instance, the tab bars, the buttons, uh, and make it look native. Um, and I, I envisioned, oh, it would be super cool to, like, you write HTML, uh, you want to take, you type table in HTML, and it actually generates an NS table view. Um, and Oh, right, that makes sense. <laughs> and just, like, directly translate the HTML with no CSS or anything uh, into like real controls um, and the like. But then it was just easier to just do that in uh, Interface Builder. And you can just drag everything in. You don't have to write any HTML. Um, and ironically enough, nowadays, the nib file format uh, is done in an XML format, right. which does exactly that. Like if you ever right-click and open it in a text editor, you'll go ahead and see that a table view is just a open angle bracket table uh, view, and there's just a bunch of arguments and and configurations on that. Um, so you can hand type that if you really, really wanted to. Don't recommend it. Um, but you can also drag and drop. And ultimately, the drag and drop, uh, what you see is what you get, is a better experience for building out something like that. I agree. That's really interesting. But I, I think, I think the question that that I that I that really pushed me over the edge was. If I were to have a web company, like mm-hmm. whatever web company, think of Basecamp, right? But Basecamp is already successful. If I if I wanted to have something that uh, I, I have a small product, my team is maybe one or two people, uh, and I'm building on the web, 
going to iOS is a huge endeavor, a huge endeavor, because I need to bring someone over that is a brand new area of expertise to my company. I need to trust them. And then they have to, and this is why, why I think Airbnb and others went down the shared code route, which we know doesn't work. But but I he like he or she or whoever joins the team as an iOS developer has to duplicate a ton of effort that I've already uh, exerted building the web page. And right? I don't th I don't think that makes sense for a small company to do that effort, like you said. If you already have Agreed. a web company, you don't have any technologies that necessarily need an I like that need the technologies that are not available to a web view, right? You can build your responsive UI and that will most likely be more than enough. Like there's no shame in having a very good website that works on a small screen and does what it needs to do without needing an app. Like it doesn't need to be on the app store for marketing purposes. The app store is a horrible place to put stuff for marketing <laughs> purposes. But that's what everyone is doing, to be honest. Um, I kinda, that's yeah, why I, we ended up with so many website apps is because people were using it as a place for marketing. Um, and that's why the App Store is what it is today. Um, even though like, it's the only, unfortunately, way to get apps that do require some sort of native um, implementation. Um, an excellent example of this is uh, Figma is completely web-based. Figma is or some uh, the mvp of figma is dead simple to write in ios native code but is a nightmare to get the technology to a place where it's mvp for the web so that is kind of like the opposite end of the spectrum where it's something is super easy to do natively but super complicated to do uh in something that would work in various web browsers across the whole spectrum but that's that's what they chose to invest in, and therefore it works on everything now. Um, but if you are starting with something web first, there's no need to kind of make an iOS app that just mirrors everything. There's, in fact, no point unless you're adding significant benefit to doing so. Maybe you're giving a much better experience on the iOS side than on the web side, then it's worth it. But if you're not, then there's no point mirroring those that effort, I would say. So I disagree with that. Um... Unless you have tons I, of money, I mean, then it's worth it. But. No, of course. <laughs> if you have a ton of money, like a, a lot of opportunities like suddenly open up. So, <laughs> uh, but no, I kind of disagree. Uh, and Spencer already mentioned this, and I I felt the same way. Like, if my bank has an app, I would much rather just download well, the app. Well, than because go to the you website. know their website sucks. Okay, their website but is no, not a mobile responsive even, website. Even if it were responsive, like going to Safari or looking for the bookmark or things like that, it's just easier to open an app. Like like Spencer said, Spotlight, boom, I'm in, I'm in the app, right? Yeah. For it's very convenient. No, it is. Like for it's sure. super convenient. So uh, that, that's one thing which I, I think that should be enough. But uh, one thing that I uh, that I think is super essential that uh, the web cannot do are notifications. You cannot post a notification unless you're native. Like that's not true. Is that not true? That's not true. Even on in iOS? fact, have you not seen every website go ahead and say, "Can we send you notifications?" Um, yeah. So but I no. think on I iOS that works on as iOS. Well. 
I believe if you save it to your home screen, you uh, you do get additional functionality oh. that's available to you. I don't think that's true. Interesting. Okay, so that might be wrong on iOS side, but on on macOS, like, I've seen it. You can yeah, always no. send your user an email. It's the same thing. It well, push no, notifications. It's Everywhere the they look. Notifi- no, that's not even. In close. fact, don't send push notifications. <laughs> like Apple, are you listening? <laughs> don't send me notifications about the arcade. I'm not like no. Stop trying to make the arcade happen. So it's not going to happen again. If you have something that needs functionality that's only available in the app, then sure, you need an app. But the vast majority of cases don't. And especially all these websites in an app apps, they don't need for for like most intents and purposes to have something there that is just a copy of what their website could have been. Like they could have just built a good responsive website and they get all sorts of platforms. It's not the best that it could be, but you can make it pretty decent with minimal effort um, and just basically hiring someone who cares. Uh, and that's what it comes down to most of the time is having someone who cares about yep. it working versus someone who just wants to get it done and move on to the next feature point that needs implementation. Okay, so what if you have all of those apps that are basically just a website and an app mm-hmm. and you just up the quality a little bit and use Turbo? Because that, I think, would be an absolute perfect, like... um probably wouldn't need much i mean you'd still need someone to implement it so there's that you're you're still paying someone but it would be a lot cheaper than a, a native ios app right like give me some tab bars give me a, you know, a normal table view so uh, i'm I, I am now in this what this has been 40 minutes or so i am coming around <laughs> to the convert. idea i get that yes. i i do, okay <laughs> let me let me be clear i don't think that should be and you probably don't think this as well I don't think it should be the be-all, end-all solution for every app. Agreed. But I think no, a lot of apps not. could benefit from it, especially if they are basically just, you know, a straight web view, and that's it in an app. This goes back to, yeah, I agree. This goes back to more or less my, my point about Apple and Swift UI. It's like, sure, Swift UI is better. Yes, it is better than UIKit, like in, in a ton of ways. It's incomplete, but it's getting there. We all know it, it'll get there. Um, but a ton of apps would benefit way more if Apple built something like this. Instead of like working your way through the native side, which as we just established is extremely difficult and probably not worth it for a lot of companies. Uh, if Apple could provide a framework like that, basically like, all right, you know what? Just I'm not going all the way to no code, but a framework that helps you like, just like Spencer said, like, here's a tab bar, here's a few notifications, just bring whatever you need into this web view, and I will do the rest. And I think that would, one, be a huge uh, asset for Apple, because you get to to absorb a lot of the web. God, I can't believe I said that. But you get to absorb a lot of the web, and the users get the, get the benefit of, like... A better experience. Uh, yeah, exactly, a better experience. Notifications, Face ID... Uh, everything that you can get well not everything but the most important parts that you can get from uh from from a native uh experience i i I have to disagree with that because the one they do provide that it's called wk webview um and that's that's basically all you need but you point it to server and it it does the rest 
customize what endpoints you want. You can make a little JavaScript object just live in the web that attaches that to the sucks. native stuff. The experience only with a Wix. But that would be no different. So if if a company were to choose this over doing it entirely natively or doing a proper job at like building a responsive website, they're not going to do it. No, In fact, cool. they did this... Like if if there's a cheaper option out there to do something like not as great, the not as great option is going to be chosen because it's cheaper, um, and that like goes all the way down. For most and people, I would say, yeah. For most companies, not people. People yeah, care yes. for the most point, but most when but there's a bottom the line involved. But then that's the point, right? If there were a framework built by Apple, yeah, that well, it doesn't sort of need do to be this. built by Apple. There's Flutter, and people have built crappy flutter apps and exactly that's, they're crappy that's, but it has nothing to do with the flutter part i can guarantee you if someone cares oh it they has can make to do a... with the flutter part no like it I, has to do it, if I, if someone cared to. they can make something that works but i they don't, don't agree with that and the fact that they picked flutter over something else is because they don't care <laughs> that's that's my point the Boy. fact that tvml exists and you can make something that works really well and that no company makes their app using it just goes and shows like no one cares to make a good experience they only care to make something that like works well with their existing workflow if they have to do any extra work it doesn't matter if it's a web technology or a native ui developer they are not going to put that extra work into it most like apps on tvos are very mediocre ports of the existing ios app because that was what was easy to put together quickly it's not some a new experience that's built up from the ground up to get something that works well um and but that's exactly what i'm saying so what you're saying is apple already um, has a framework that does what you want and no one's using it and no no (laughs) no that's incomplete that's like, and, and even, even, yeah, and not only that, not only uh, what you're saying is not true uh, because of the App Store. You can't just load a web, uh, WK web view into an app and submit it to the App Store. You'll get rejected immediately. It has to provide value. Yeah, of course. But or, if, you're, or, if mean, your web if view points to something and it provides value and you can't escape it, then you're good. Like, you'll be rejected and if you don't you will not be you'll ah that is i can guarantee you there are so many I, apps that are just the fact that there are so view. many apps the fact that there are so many apps doesn't mean that you would or wouldn't get rejected that's part of the whole epic saga thing right like some people will submit a webk view app that's horrible and they'll get accepted and others will submit it and they won't yes but they're not being rejected because it's a wk web view they're being rejected it's in because the, the content that's yeah, it's it's in the guidelines that they don't want that, but they're not going to reject you for doing it if you put the care into making something work. That said, if again, if your app is not providing that. anything extra than having a website, there's no point in it existing, honestly. Like you wasted money re-implementing it from scratch if you're not providing a better experience than what the website could have provided. So, so that that goes back to the point, let Apple give us a framework so we can provide a better okay. experience. Okay, so what would that framework <laughs> look like from your point of view? More, I, I don't know. That's so why I, I get, wrote a, that's I wrote why a they web get paid app. the big bucks. I, I wrote a web app, right? Um, and uh-huh. it, it works responsively. Mm-hmm. And I want to add push notifications. 
what does this hypothetical technology that Apple needs to provide, what is it going to do differently than just being a web view that's showing my responsive website? That makes sense. Is it? Go- am I going to need to do extra work to show more native controls on the screen? Because I can guarantee you that's not happening. So let's. <laughs> I, yeah, okay, I I disagree with that premise, but let's assume it is true that oh, I will not lift a finger to go a little bit more native. I disagree with that, but let's let's take that for granted. Uh, this goes back to what you were trying to do twenty years ago with the uh, HTML table and the NS table, right? There's got to be a way for Apple to... I was playing around. I was not making anything but, serious to No, to no, no, but that's there. the point. If you had a ton of money, uh, you could be doing something serious in such a way that maybe you can nativize a lot of the elements in your responsive web view if they're built in a certain way, right? And Apple doesn't want that because they lose control. That's the whole point of this argument. I feel that if Apple were to lose a little bit of control, they would gain a lot and the users would gain a lot because the quality of the apps would go up and the avenue into iOS development would be way easier, way, way easier, right? If To answer your question specifically, if Apple would magically turn an HTML table view into a UI table view, that's what I would want the framework to do in some way, shape, or form. Okay. Uh, you bring up the fact that there's like native controls on a case-by-case basis. One thing that like I, I remember from early, early uh, versions of WebKit, at least, when you put a button element, like an HTML element for a button, it would actually render an NS button on screen. Um, I remember at that. that. Point at that uh-huh. point in time. Now, that wasn't customizable with CSS, so it no longer does this. Uh, thank, thank you, the web. Uh, you've ruined <laughs> something that we had that was good. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so nowadays, everything is re-implemented using web technologies, but the mobile Safari has been upgraded quite a lot over the yep. years, and there's a whole ton of things that you would have never thought be possible that are possible. Uh, for instance, Face ID is something that you can do in Mobile Safari. Yep. Um, getting front camera access and doing camera and face tracking and rendering that in a in a graphics context is possible with Mobile Safari. So nowadays, I think the answer to your question is just build it for the web, and you can access all sorts of APIs that would have otherwise just been very specific towards uh, needing to have written an app, but you have access to directly within that web context. And again, if you want it in in Spotlight, you would just save that to your home screen uh, and there you would have it. And it's unhindered by Apple's restrictions at that point. Um, Except for notifications. Except for notifications. And and people like Spencer and myself. I, I I agree with you, and I think we're kind of running uh, a little bit in circles now, because I think I think we're we're both separated by a thousands of kilometers, Dimitri. Yeah, me. You can't catch me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, it's. I think you guys have given me a lot to think about. I think it's it's a really interesting conversation, and I, I just hope Apple kind of realizes that. 
they could be making things easier. Uh, iOS development is like, unfortunately, like you said, like it has quite a ramp up time. You need like two or three years before you can even start looking for a job. And I wish they would help with that. I, If in my dreams, a junior developer is a Ruby or a JavaScript developer that wants to get into iOS and they can do it within a month. And after a while, they're like, huh, I wish I could um, optimize or customize this a little bit more. And so they start learning Swift. I think, I guess that's where I, I, I would hope Apple would go instead of making frameworks that are more and more complicated and require more and more ramp up time. But that's just me. Maybe I'm just jaded, but I feel like when Apple came out with Swift, that's what happened. That That's when we got the sudden influx of tons of web developers that suddenly were able to understand the SDKs to make native apps and were not scared away by scare brackets anymore. Um, that's when we got a ton of people uh, <laughs> that joined uh, into the iOS developer ranks was because of Swift coming out, um, at least to a certain extent. So if you're an Just existing developer and you are picking up Swift, I think it's pretty easy to get very far because you already know how to think like a developer at that point. If you're starting from scratch and then getting directly into iOS development, yes, it's going to be rough. Um, but uh, every any like going into web development is going to be just as rough because everything changes every two months, anyways. Uh, so it's like, did I write? The, did I learn the right thing? Everyone's doing something different now. Um, like it's impossible to follow. Um, but that that's my point of view from being away from it for twenty years. <laughs> this week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Sticky Widgets. Sticky Widgets is the absolute easiest way to put a sticky note on your home screen and edit it quickly. It's so easy, you never need to open the app itself. Add a sticky widget to your home screen through the iOS home screen editor and tap on it to edit. That's about it. Of course, there's tons of customization options as well. Font, color, text size, alignment, all conveniently located in the system's edit widget interface. And add as many widgets as you'd like or put them in a smart stack. Sticky widgets are digital sticky notes for your phone. Use them however you'd like. Here's a pro tip for our fellow code completionists. Need a quick shopping list, but it's hard to access your phone while wearing a mask? Just put a widget in the Today view and swipe over from the lock screen. It couldn't be easier. Sticky Widgets is a free download on the App Store, and additional font and color options are available for a one-time in-app purchase. Thank you so much to Sticky Widgets for sponsoring Code Completion. Check out Sticky Widgets on the iOS App Store today. Now that we've gone through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Here is last week's prompt once again, Spencer. So from last week, we have a file-based question for you. Uh, If you're listening to the podcast, uh, you can check the podcast art or the show notes to follow along. Uh, So the prompt is that we have a method called check if exists. Uh, It takes in a file path as a URL and returns a bool. What is the best way to check if the file that is passed in exists or not? So can you complete the code? Tweet your answers to us with hashtag complete the code, all one word. The first to get it right will get a shout out on next week's show. And with all that out of the way, it's time for Compiler Error, a segment where I get to test my fellow completionist's knowledge on Swift, Apple, and all things development. And today we have a theme that has nothing to do with Swift, Apple, and (laughs) I guess a little bit of development. And that is uh, valid email addresses. So I was uh, recently looking into what makes up a valid email address, uh, and it was a very interesting uh, 
uh, line of research uh, that I decided to pull out four such email addresses. One of these is invalid, uh, so let's go one at a time. Uh, the first one is in quotes, I love Objective-C uh, with spaces and dashes and capitals and lower cases, uh, and then at coders.com. The second one is Dimitri dot at codecompletion.io. The third one is admin at, and then in square brackets, IPv6 colon 2020 colon DE9, and then double colon one, and that makes up the IP address. And then the fourth one is app support, and then in parentheses, C space Dimitri at help desk. So these are four such email addresses, all super wonky looking. Uh, one of these is incorrect. Uh, Fernando, since you haven't been on the show for quite a while, you get to go first. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Who here hasn't written an is valid email function? <laughs> They're everywhere. You, you, like that's a rite of passage. So this is the stress test, the, uh, the unit tests uh, that you'll need to run through. Right. Are the colons, uh, the colons, the uh, quotation marks in number one, like actual stylized quotation marks, or are they meant to be like ASCII quotation marks? They're meant to be ASCII quotation marks. Okay, perfect. Okay, that, that helps a little bit. In I fact, still have I no should, idea, but... <laughs> I should redo that. There we go. Um, there we go. Great question. Ah, perfect. Yes, thank you. Uh, and with that, Spencer... <laughs> Fernando, you have to pick. Uh, <laughs> uh, I I almost had him. Um, I don't think number two is is valid because the period. No, I actually don't. I I don't mind that one. The period. Um, that's really interesting. I'm sensing number three is too wacky to be it like that's probably valid somewhere <laughs> ah that's really interesting what's really interesting is that even uh, we'll, we'll discuss that afterwards i'm gonna go with <laughs> i'm gonna go with number <sighs> that's really difficult This, there should be, you can, number two. I'm going to go with number two. I don't like the period right be, uh, before the at symbol. Excellent choice. Spencer? Um, I think I'm going to go with number four for, well, I have two lines of thinking. I think it could be that the space is an issue because it's not, in quotation marks maybe that is uh, has something to do with it but the bigger thing that i'm thinking is the at help desk maybe doesn't have a clear place to resolve to whereas with coders.com it's a specific uh domain and the ipv6 it's just an ip address so that would work as well uh whereas like at help desk it's like i don't know uh so we'll go with four Excellent choice as well. So let's go through these one Be, at a time. Wait, before before you, you, you go through the answers, I want to change my answer. No, I'm kidding. Uh, are, were you considering like 
the are these valid based on like the actual spec? Yes. Or would they actually... are they valid after you get like URL escaped characters? They are not URLs, so URL escaping has nothing to do with this. I I was thinking maybe you could like instead of space, uh, uh an email uh, percent twenty. Uh, yeah, an email uh, mail uh, client would do something like that. But I see your point. That's fair. They're not URLs. I agree. So okay, URL sorry. escaping does not work. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and start with number one, since you both think that one is true. Uh, so this is uh, to repeat for the listeners. You can either look on the show notes uh, to see these or just listen to me transcribe it awkwardly. This is in quotes, I space love space objective C. Uh, and then after the quotes at coders.com. And this one is surprisingly very, like, very okay, even though most email clients will just barf if you try <laughs> yeah. to type this in. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I learned that the hard way because uh, when I lived in Japan many years ago at this point, uh, there were a lot of people that I guess ended up with like full phrases as their email address. That was like some weird line, like, um, the stereotypical ones are always funny to look up on uh, on uh, Google of like English and Japanese uh, kind of thing, but they have all this sorts of like oh life is good kind of thing um, lines that that mean something to them, and therefore they would have life is good as a full phrase with spaces uh, at uh, docomo.com or whatever. Um, and I, I was like, I don't know how to type in this email address. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but if you type quotes, um, that will, that will actually work out, even though most websites will probably say this is not a valid email address. Uh, so good job so far. That one is totally true. Let's go to number three. Uh, and this one is interesting because I did not know that, uh, if you have an IP address, uh, that can go in, uh, square brackets. Um, so here we have admin at IPv6 2020 DE uh, 9 and then colon colon 1. And all of that IP address is in square brackets on the right side of the email address. Uh, and if you don't know IPv6 addresses, you can omit zeros um, when they occur, I think, at the end of an oct- uh, octet pair or if you have a long sequence of like 00 colon 00 colon 00 colon 00, etc. You can just omit all of them by just putting a double colon like that um, and just pad it out to a full IPv6 address. So this one is uh, totally uh, okay as well, though very few people would send an email address to an IP address like this from memory. Uh, (laughs) So I don't recommend uh, this as an email address unless you want to not get email, I guess. And then then I highly recommend it. No (laughs) spam. so we're so, down to the duel. So you're down duel to the, the duel. Fates. I was just going to say um, duel of the fates, man. So let's start with number two first. So Fernando, you oh. think this is the fiction, not the fiction, the, yes. the compiler error. Uh, and this one to recap is Dimitri dot at codecompletion.io. Uh, and Fernando, you are completely correct that this is yes. a problematic email. And that's because the dot comes at the end Yes, it's right the beside the ad symbol. Uh, if it's mm-hmm. at the beginning, it would also be a problem. If you have two dots in a row, that would also be a problem. So basically, anytime you have uh, dots, you have to have words in between the dots. Uh, and you can combine this by putting an entire quoted sequence between dots, for instance. So if you have Dimitri dot and then in quotes, 
some crazy sequence of characters, <laughs> end quote, dot, my last name, Buñol, that would be a valid email address as well. So good job, Fernando. I think this is like the first time in forever since you've won. It's, uh, been, a, it's been a minute. And that means, uh, sorry, Spencer, uh, this one is uh, completely okay. And the surprising thing here is not what you pointed out with the help desk. Uh, so that is a fully qualified domain. Uh, for instance, on the local network. Like localhost. Uh, you can, yeah, localhost is yep. an example, a great example of that. Uh, on the local network, uh, this might use your uh, domain search, your search domains that your DHCP server sends out and automatically append a dot to the end of that. Um, so all sorts of things could gotcha. resolve based off this. Uh, so that part is totally okay. The surprising part was the part in parentheses where we have space. Uh, and the part in parentheses is not actually part of the email. It's called an email comment, which was a fun thing to look into. Whoa. <laughs> I put these anywhere. <laughs> they are completely wonky, and it's from the, like the very, very early days of email. And basically, people so would put cool. their name in the email comments to kind of say like who this email is for. Wow. Um, back in the day where like every character would cost a hundred dollars to send. No, I'm just kidding. That was never, (laughs) um, but yeah, you can put, you can put someone's name in the comment. You can put whatever you want in the comment. They just get parsed out. Um, so the actual email is just app support at help desk. Uh, so sorry, Spencer. Uh, but hopefully you learned about how to make better emails. Yeah, that was uh, a good one. Email validation. Um, I actually found out that the first one, uh, if you use data detectors on iOS, it will not detect that as an email. So don't don't use data detectors for email validation if you want to support every single email. Uh, they're great for spotting emails and text, but not for validating if the user entered one. Uh, Gotta open them... up a radar. Yep. Oh, well, I don't think it would... <laughs> like, it's okay in that scenario to not detect one. Right, because you have a paragraph of text, you you need to find uh, things that look close enough to an email to make them into links, uh, rather than like support actual validation. It would be much better, Apple, if you had an actual email validation code uh, that's just part of the framework. That would be the that would be the radar to open. If you if you were Apple and you had like enough money, which I think Apple does, wouldn't you put like one person to the task of like just go through the whole spec? And bring me like a class that that detects all these emails. An email formatter, if you will. Yes. Cool. I I remember the dot. I remember the dot and the at sign. I that was something that I I, I don't know why. Uh, yeah, I've done a few uh, is valid email functions back in the day, and I remember the dot being by the at sign was a big no no. Yeah, I, I but, found that one quite surprising. I didn't even know that would. That would have been a no-no, so I threw it in, but Fernando was not tricked next time. Pew, pew. Pew, pew. So, as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at CodeCompletion to know when new episodes get released, and feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. If you are an Apple Podcast subscriber, please feel inclined to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That helps uh, new listeners find the show, and they will perhaps give it a listen thanks to your recommendation. Uh, So if if you want to support the show, please uh, go ahead and take a few minutes of your time to go ahead and do that. It's very much appreciated. 
Uh, once again, I want to give my thanks to Fernando, who is at From Junior to Senior. That's F-R-O-M-J-R-T-O-S-R -R on Twitter. And Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri, and you can find me at Dimitri Buniol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.